Welcome to the Continuous Delivery Podcast. My name is Zarar. I'm Chaba. I'm Kino. And I'm Cheesy. Chaba, that was a pretty low introduction. I guess you're not so excited about our uh, our topic today. What in the hell is regression testing? That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, regression testing, we've all heard that term before. Maybe it means different things to different people. Kino, start us off by telling us what regression testing is. Well, my understanding, and I'm, this is how, how I'm taught, is that uh, you're testing functionality that already existed in your application or in your system. So it's not the newly um, uh, written or added functionality that, that you're testing, but actually everything that worked in the past, does it still work? That's how I would summarize it. Uh, and, and Cheesy, do you mind, do you mind telling us uh, just why regression testing is not a thing? Well... Uh, it's not that it's not a thing; it's that it shouldn't be a thing. <laughs> okay, so uh, I mean that, that the way that it almost always is implemented is that a team works for a period of time building something, and then whenever they think that they have it finished, they deploy it into some environment. Then they run a really large battery of tests, and these are not uh, tests that run in a pipeline. These often are like these massive tests that take a really, really long time to, to get together. Because they're deployed into an environment, they bring with it all of the headaches of having all of the right things installed in the environment. Often there are like really heavy data requirements, uh, which ultimately leads to brittle tests, tests that fail, et cetera, et cetera. And so that, that's kind of the concept or the idea or how it's typically in, implemented. The, the thing that's missed there is that we shouldn't have to like work up to a certain point, stop and pause, deploy everything and test it. But instead, we need to get to a place where at every moment we can know that our system works. So it's not something that happens after the fact that tests everything from the past, but it ha our testing has to be something that's continuous, that tests everything all the time uh, without all of these heavy he headaches and that ideally is not brittle, that, that, that has a lot of a high degree of reliability. And, and Chava, I want to I go to you and, and kind of propose this. I, I feel uh, regression tests, the way they are, the way Cheesy described them, are completely antithetical to continuous delivery, uh, completely orthogonal, opposite. Because if you look at any continuous delivery definition on the web or, or what you thought of, it's always been your software should always be in a releasable state, right? That That's like number one thing of continuous delivery. And when we say, oh, we we're entering a regression testing phase, that sort of breaks the definition right there because you can't release it until this thing called regression testing is complete. Well, don't forget the historical uh, context here, right? And don't forget that we take for granted full full automation. But in the moment when you have manual tests, there is no other way to, to do this. So so to be able to get to that state, there is one simple requirement, which is also in the same time extremely, extremely hard to achieve, especially in legacy systems, to be full to have fully automated tests, right? In that that moment, these tests became uh, you can call them regression, you can just call them just tests because they just run. They can just run any, any point in time, any moment you do any kind of change. And and, and I, I think the reason this got stuck in the industry, and I'm going to, to give a little bit of perhaps understanding how I see it, is that when a developer makes a change on, on a piece of code that they are working on right now, and then they fully unit test, they integration test, they do everything, and then when, 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 the, when every, all the other tests run in the pipeline, 
in a way, I think they look at it as a regression test because because this was developed before. While for me, it's just another they just they just uh, the test of the system, and I think this is where where this, this still got stuck this uh, this um, this term. Uh, and and what I've seen people people using it even in a continu- could be used even in a continuous delivery environment. Okay, so, so let's jump into like some actual scenarios here, and 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 you know maybe we'll start off with what you. I, I mean, most people in in large companies use integration tests because they have some application that connects with like four or five different systems, and even though they may have unit tests to cover their part, they still want to make sure it works with the five other parts, and that's why you you enter this regression test phase. Let's go around the table and talk about how do we avoid that and provide some alternates, maybe. So, if if you're in a company where you you actually have a have an application which can, which is not just you know you, you can functionally sort of assume or you you can write tests to make sure it, your application does the right thing, but when you want to make sure it works well with say the credit check system or the invoicing system or or whatever system. That's when regression testing sort of comes in, and we use that as a crutch. What are what are some alternates? Let's go to here. I want to clarify something first, though, because regression testing and integration testing are not two concepts that you can just easily compare, right? So there's all kinds of uh, regression testing as possible. Some of those can be integration tests. Some of those can be unit tests. Some of those can be uh, end-to-end or integration in the large tests or backup and restore tests. Whatever it is, right? So all all tests types that you might potentially come up with might be part of regression test suite. So it's it's not entirely uh, the same. I want to clarify that first. So um, the other piece, though, that the things that, that you're referring to is how do we ensure that indeed those pieces work together? And whether that's run as an regression test or it's a new, a new test that you're introducing, it uh, doesn't really matter at that point. Um, so there's a couple of things that we talked about in the past, I believe, in some of our previous episodes as well, related to contract testing, for instance. Especially when you're using APIs, uh, you can uh, introduce uh, or, or basically formalize that contract between the uh, consumer of the API and the producer of the API, and then uh, basically run those tests on uh, on either side of that of that fence of that um, basically that interaction point. So, as a consumer, you you're basically testing against. Um, a component or a stub that behaves as the API, and as a uh, as a producer, you are testing your um, your API with a, a consumer that be- basically calls you and and making sure that that same expect or that expected behavior is still there. So that's one of those things that you can do, uh, um, but that doesn't work, for instance, for every single type of API or every single component that you're interacting with, right? So some technologies are better suited for that than others. Uh, a recent one, for instance, GraphQL, uh, seems to be a little bit more challenging because there is more, there is less structure in the API itself, and as a result, it's a little bit harder to uh, to set up those uh, those contract tests, or at least in my experience. Yeah, so the, the scenario that you described, uh, Zarar, where you know we're building something, but we call out to like an invoicing system or some external system like that. Uh, yeah, I think they, the integrated regression test is absolutely the worst way you could possibly test that for a whole host of reasons. Number one, uh, it's kind of assumed that we don't own that other system. And so therefore, we don't have a lot of control over how it's going to behave in a test situation. And unfortunately, a lot of people will just accept that. And that's why you often see only like happy path type 
tests actually executed in that because it becomes virtually impossible or, or incredibly complex or difficult to test conditions of what happens if I get a bad response, what happens if I get data that I wasn't expecting, what happens if X, Y, Z, whatever. So, so that that's, and furthermore, you still are subject to the whole situation of what happens if that external group is now put a new version out that's breaking that they're wanting to test. It's not something that they've released yet or anything like that, but that now all of a sudden I'm down, you know, so it, it, ju it just creates a, a huge mess. A uh, better approach might be to create some really smart uh, thinking around some mocks where uh, I can use those mocks for many purposes. So for example, let's say if I do want to have a test that calls out of process, you know, so I have a, that's driven by my unit testing framework, but that I want to actually make a call, I can make a call into those mocks and, and quickly have tests that do some of those, uh, you know, edge case type scenarios. Or if I so happen to want to do some exploratory testing, if I've built those mocks right, I should be able to start an exploratory testing session where I could, you know, quickly, rapidly, uh, change the data that's returned from that fake invoicing system, you know, or have it behave in a lot of different ways. The other interesting thing is, is as we start to look at more non-functional requirements of the system, like for example, things like load and performance, where I want to be able to put a load on my piece, but I want that, that uh, component that I'm calling or that invoicing system to behave much more like it would in production. You know, if I can get, uh, uh, production stats from something like New Relic, where I can understand, you know, what are the response time, what are the latency that I typically see on that call. I can bake that again into these mocks so that I can have my pipeline run things like performance tests or load tests or such. So, so it just opens up the door to a lot more, more accurate, more thorough testing by not running things end to end. Uh, the contract tests that Hino said are, are really critical as well. As a last step, let's say that I still want to call something end-to-end -end just because uh, there's there's some perceived risk there that, that we can identify when we can call out. Well, that's what feature toggles are for. Then I should be able to, in production, against the real system, open that feature toggle for the team just to do some final testing and to be quite honest, that's the best that I can possibly think of. Yeah, yeah, I would even call that verification. But there is something else that that uh, uh, triggered my interest there, uh, choosing what you said, and that is you don't have control over those uh, those components that you want to connect with. And I remember um, a situation in which a customer of ours was um, was actually relying on data that it got from the internet. And it was actually scraping that from various sites. And it had absolutely no control uh, around how that data was uh, was presented. But they had a live product that was relying on those contracts to uh, to be unchanged, to remain, to remain what they were. And obviously they didn't, right? Because, um, but anyway, what they did was they had multiple providers and uh, they, instead of actually testing, in production, they would be able to, as soon as an API did no longer behave the way that they expected it, they would cut off that particular uh, consumer or, sorry, producer. So they would they would stop consuming that information, immediately flag this, immediately send an alert 
to uh, individuals that could uh, go and investigate what exactly had changed so that they could uh, as quickly as possible uh, support that new interface or that change uh, again as well. And that is in production because they absolutely had no control over what the uh, the producer did. So it's actually taking it even a step further than, than in a testing environment. You know, like you mentioned mocks a couple times in, in your answers and, you know, I, I've just found teams not to trust mocks. Like I trust them, but but I find it they, they really just do not trust them because it is fake data. And they just insist that, oh, this was mock, things could change. We still got to test with, with, with the real data. What do you think is behind that mentality? Because why don't people trust mocks? Why do they insist on going up against a real system? What is it about mocks that makes people so nervous? I can I can give it a stab. I, I think again this is historical. I, I think I think they got some of the teams that used to like hitting real systems uh, and 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 trusting that. And the other thing is the staleness of that. And and I think that's why he knows he knows point was about about contract testing, because because the 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 challenge is that I can mock something, but I have no idea if the other side makes makes any changes right and and the the interesting question for me is always like uh especially larger organizations that that since since uh, we have so many open source uh uh, products and apis out there weirdly they accept the fact that they use these these open source apis and they rely on them and they accept the fact that it's they cannot just go there and ask them for a change yet in an organization they they there is no there is no need to, to move towards that kind of a model where where truly you develop these these trustable APIs or this version then trustable API, which is yes, of course, an extra effort, but you would you would get to closer to that point, uh, Zara, what you're describing, that you you could start trusting your uh, your your mocks because they will be true to those to those uh, to those version and, and and trustable internal APIs. Yeah, uh, I, I want to add to that by just exploring a little bit. You know, Chaba hit, hit the nail on the head where he said that there's a historical aspect to it. I, I want to jump into that just a little bit because I think peeling that apart helps us understand that fear some, okay? And, uh, and, and it is very much historical. Uh, several decades ago, decisions were made to take uh, quality away from developers and hand it off to other folks. And these are your testing organizations, right? Your QA organization. And uh, for many, many years, uh, that was very manual process. And even today, uh, still a lot of places it's very manual, but, but we are getting more automation. Part of the challenge that we have is that that typically has happened after the fact, okay? In other words, after the code is written or, or fairly close to ready to go, and, and it's not integrated in the development cycle. So as a result, they've had to rely on these big end-to-end run all the way through the system type of tests. So what we have now, because uh, the majority of the developers, that's the only environment in which they've worked in. So they've only worked in places where it's been drilled into their mind that the only way to make sure that something actually works is to run it in this big end-to-end idea. 
and they haven't had uh, the chance to step back and think about it and have those, you know, in the way that we're talking about it here right now. So I, I think, you know, this whole having, bringing QA, building out QA, having them be responsible for uh, quality has been a huge disservice to our industry. Not, not to say that there's not value in QA or things like that. I'm not trying to say that. But, but what I am saying is that it's put accountability in places where it's forced us to do a lot of the wrong thing, in my opinion. Right. And, and people got used to, uh, to this way of working. And as a result, they, they've, they find it hard to regain that confidence in their, in their testing code. And one of the examples that I wanted to bring out, but the, I think everyone has been in a situation where uh, you tested as much as you possibly could, whether it's through automated testing or you have a, a, a test organization that uh, builds all those scenarios. And still, as soon as there's something in, in production, you, you you hit, for instance, a name with an accent in it, or 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 a foreign or a foreign character, or something like that, and suddenly the uh, your entire system blows up. And those things they cause challenges in production uh, because we might not have uh, tested the situation entirely. But my question to those people who um, who are reluctant to trust. The, the opinion of Mox then at, at that time or testing the tests uh, executed with Mox is how are you going to make sure that all of those situations are covered in a test scenario as well? It doesn't really matter whether or not you're testing end-to-end with all of your systems connected on with real data. If you don't have every single possible combination or name that uh, appears around the around the entire globe. So you can't, you can't really do that with manual testing either. The difference is... Uh, there's no difference. Uh, I would like to add, like, actually, there is a way out of this. And this is when, when, when Shizi and you guys were talking about, you know, about about this kind of uh, situation where the organizations went away and then and then uh, entrusted with quality with this separate part of the organization called the quality, the, the QA group, right? Uh, we, I had one, one very good example with one of my clients where we actually were able to go away from this, but it wasn't immediate. And that was about building trust. Right, so how in that case it case happened that that the, the QA group was had their test cases and executing test cases, and then now what they started doing in the developers, we started really going after on every level uh, towards automation, and what we actually started doing, uh, which was which was an idea of one of the developer, we started actually showing in our sprint reviews the kind of testing we do. We kind of want to highlight a little bit for the organization what other things. And this is a classic example. You don't necessarily just have to talk about your product. You can Sometimes you can talk about like, what you actually do. And and one day the, the, the QA lead came to us and said, Charlie, this is crazy. You guys are running exactly the same thing, developing tests exactly the same thing that we are testing. And we're like, yeah, because we don't want to have any defects. We don't, we, we don't like that. And, and this was going on for a while that eventually they said, okay, so why don't we start talking and and we can start going away from executing this very, like checking the screen, checking the fields, you know, the, the, the classic kind, kind of QA job and start and start focusing on more end-to-end features or more end-to-end and then kind of moving. At the time, I didn't know exploratory testing. This was like about 10 years ago. I wasn't aware of that. And and but but pretty much what exploratory testing today is, and guys, this was about ten sprints. 
what I'm describing here. And until until we show started showing the first review, and until they they started coming to us to to say that yeah, we started to trust you because we're not finding any of those bugs that we used to find because what was you guys put in place. So what I'm trying to say here is that that if there is an opportunity to start building this trust, eventually you can wean yourself off of this of this kind of QA dependency. What and then they can start going. Uh, so the, so the QA folks can start doing some more meaningful uh, uh, activities. But that, that was just one very, very long example to, to, to go away. You know, I, I, if I can conclude this thing, um, there's two things I think I think I want to say. One is that uh, regarding the QA role, that really needs to go more into customer usability and, and look at those angles of things, especially with the emphasis on accessibility uh, and how, how we, we want to make our apps accessible to a large amount of people. Uh, and there's so much about accessibility and usability that goes unchecked in our development process that I think it's a massive gap right now, which nobody sort of looks at. And QA is sort of is sort of burdened with doing integration testing and these sort of things. When actual usability testing of the software, it, it, it that that sort of gets ignored. Uh, even exploratory testing, you don't end up doing too much of that. Maybe bits and pieces here or there, but actual usability testing where you measure transaction times across workflows and so on. Nobody really does that. At least I haven't seen it. And second is that I think if you want to move away from regression testing and this long cycle regression testing, we got to figure out how to test the change and not test the entire software over and over again. And testing the change is maybe its own podcast topic we can cover next time. But I think if we, if we, if we figure out that in this over the next last over the last two weeks we changed X amount of code or features or what have you, and we figure out how to test those that X that delta confidently, then we can maybe think about shortening or even eliminating our regression testing cycle. But that's a that's a whole new topic maybe for next time. Uh, listener, thank you for co- uh, joining uh, or listening into the ETD podcast. Like us on Twitter. Or follow us on Twitter at ContinuousPod and join the LinkedIn group. And we also have a YouTube channel going where you can watch this podcast. So uh, leave us a comment, subscribe, and all that. And uh, we'll hopefully uh, see you again soon enough. Goodbye.